When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Warning, creators of this game do understand the subject matter may be offensive to some, but they do honor the families and people that have been affected by these real-life tragedies that these individuals have caused. Wanna play a game? Oh yeah! Lover of true crime? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we got an interesting game for you to check out. Wow. With the mashup of influences such as horror movies, collecting cards, and RPGs. What? Led to giving birth to an incredible creation of this game. Killers, the card game. You are all my children now. This game is a collectible trading card game featuring some of the most infamous killers with tidbits of trivia on the back of each card to help you learn some insight to each criminal. Who the hell are you? Let's not forget, during the game, cops will be chasing you and these criminals. I'm a cop, you idiot! However, check out their website listed through all social media today, which can be found under Killers, the card game. Am I on the internet? I want to play a game. Hello, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Popple, formerly the genius of WWE. You are listening to Crazy Train Radio. Ooh, yeah. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today.
I'm not going to do my normal spiel to start things off. This one has been a tough one. Tougher for some compared to others. But as a whole, it's been pretty tough. I'm guessing we're just about at a week in at this point since not only the world but the wrestling world lost the genius Lanny Poffo. Some know him as Sleeping Lanny, some know him as Genius, but some of us just knew him as Lanny. Dr. Mike Lano is with us and First and foremost with this, and I was surprised I was the bearer of bad news if I took your email correct, but you first heard about Lanny's passing from me, correct? Correct. Yeah, I got your email and I go, oh, no, uh, really hit hard because this was actually somebody I knew away from the ring and had known since 1977. I don't need to go on a long diatribe here, so just interrupt me if I'm going too long. But uh, I'd met him before that, and in 77, he subscribed to the newsletter I was doing, which was covering <laughs> world stuff. I was merely copying what my editor at Ring Magazine, Tom Burke, who's still alive, still the top sensei Yoda of pro wrestling history, along with guys like George Shire and then folks like myself who are way down the totem pole, way below Tom Burke. But Tom Burke's Ring Wrestling Magazine was um, had coverage of all the territories, and it was almost shoot in nature and had coverage of stuff going on in England, Austria, Mexico, Japan, obviously, but more obscure wrestling places like South America and uh, the burgeoning starting uh, stuff in India and Australia, New Zealand and stuff like that. So that's what I was doing, even though it was the Tolos Brothers fan club. I was putting out a monthly newsletter with very little coverage on the honorees who I knew very well, but I'd have some, but mostly it was international coverage. So Lanny loved that stuff, was a big historian and his loss was awful. So yeah, I got the info from you and then uh, had to do my own tribute on the Busted Open and some other shows. They did a full, well, the first hour of their three hours was on, on Lanny last Friday. He died Thursday morning and just didn't wake up, and we can get into some of that. But the thing that makes us insane is particularly Furpo, Pampiro Furpo, total legend who worked with Lanny in Detroit when Lanny and his father, Angelo, came in there in 75 with brother Randy. It was fresh out of the St. Louis Cards baseball farm system and had, I think it was a career ending injury. So he and Lanny come in with bleach blonde hair, the two of them, but Lanny was in openers, whereas Angelo and Lanny were quickly had this NWA world tag titles, the Detroit chic version, the straps put right on them. So they're like second from the top and Randy's in like openers and second from the bottom that would quickly change course, you know, and, and blah 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 blah. But Lanny also held the uh, the Sheik's tag title, so that was 1975. And Lanny and obviously Angelo was a big legend who'd worked since the 50s. But 
uh, Lanny, that was like his second ever, but his biggest territory to date. And then he held the titles a second time with uh, Chris Colt, uh, another guy we lost X amount of years ago. But he, uh, he was actually kind of came to fame with Dick the Bruiser's WWA promotion. And then he worked for the Sheik. And that was, I talked to some of the Detroit historians, Dave Brzezinski, Terry Sullivan, who was the Sheik's announcer. Dave Brzezinski used to edit and put together entirely, also with his photos, the Sheik's Body Press program, which was like a, a true magazine, big old magazine. And so they came in, it was, the territory was starting to wane, had been since the thing with Dick Bruiser, kind of not quite bridging, but the, the, the WWA at least, Bruiser's territory going to battle with the Sheik's NWA back territory was kind of the end of it. Its presence in Detroit, basically just Dick the Bruiser and Sailor R. Thomas working for Sheik. And then that it ended and the territory was kind of, the, there was opposition. Almost all of the longstanding Sheik talent had left. So Sheik was bringing in guys who were new to the territory and, and having to elevate Don Bulldog Kent and it was kind of dying. And so a lot of us were going, geez, who are, uh, Lanny and Randy. We don't know who Angelo is. We didn't know his kids were working, but uh, they would, of course, create major history. And uh, let me shut up and see what you've got to say about him too. Everybody's got fond memories of him, but uh, I first met him in 2009. Uh, he was in my area for a small convention, and there was a show that he was going to be a part of that ended up not happening we know how shit happens with the independence and all but we kept in touch and all that stuff and there's always you know birthdays and different milestones that we hear from each other and such and i first heard of his passing I was doing some editing of regular episodes and get ready before I got this secondhand cold with a uh, horror trivia we did. And I was glancing at Facebook and I happened to read a post from our friend Keith Elliott Greenberg. And I didn't think much of it at first. Because it was, he was talking about Lanny, and it was, it almost felt like two ships passed in the night, because Keith had went to San Antonio for the Rumble, and I had known Lanny was up this way in the Northeast for some appearances, and apparently a personal thing or two, you know, he was up in the region, and I was actually saying about me was thinking about reaching out to have him back on because you suggested it previously and this that and the other so anyway i just glanced by the post didn't think much of it because i didn't really read it but the way i took it two ships passing in the night you know because i knew they were friends as well it wasn't till later probably about an hour or two later did i saw another post from Evan this time that I actually paid attention. I go, you got to be kidding me. You know, that later Thursday afternoon, I was like, holy shit, sent you the message 
after I confirmed it from, I'm not saying that Evan and Keith aren't, you know, I looked at another source. I was like, holy shit, like this is happening. And obviously people were posting on Lonnie's timeline and word had gotten out. And just note, take away the business away from things. Lanny was just a good dude to know and associate with. And obviously I wasn't as close with him as you guys were. But overall, I can say, well, I'm happy to say, hey, I knew the guy somewhat and had nothing but positive interactions with him. He um, always treated like everybody, whether he knew you a little bit or a lot. Uh, and some people, I forget if it was Keith Greenberg who came on after me on Busted that open was saying, yeah, people I went back and listened to that. Yes. He, I forget if it was him or maybe Tommy Fierro, who also was on later, uh, goes, a lot of people think, Jesus, he on all the time like that, but he, he kind of wasn't in some ways. And he was brilliant in the, like Keith said, very eloquently, you could just give him a topic, right? Or Tommy said that, and I think Dreamer as well, and you give him a topic and he very quickly could come up with some uh, some poems. Uh, Brian Alvarez, uh, his Observer show, which I caught by accident Sunday, he was saying he was doing something as a goof and he bought a cameo with Lanny and asked him to talk about the dangers of smoking and drinking thinking it would help his on-air podcast partner for the Observer podcast, Vinny Caroline, I think is the gent's name, stop that stuff. And he goes, I paid him this money and he just read, he, he, he came back 10 minutes later with it, but he was just reading out of his very last book. So Lanny had at least, to my knowledge, four poetry books. He had like one in 77 he sent me and one in 79 that were like mimeographs like sort of either Xeroxed or mimeographed. And it was just r really on wrestlers and, and rhyming them. Now his 1988 book, the main one was wrestling with rhyme. And then I forget more recently, eight, nine, 10 years ago. I don't know the exact date. I have it in storage was his one on primarily uh, uh, directed at kids of different age groups on taking care of your heart and lungs and, and stuff and, and good health, uh, and, which makes this really tragic as uh, Pampero Furpo's daughter, Mary, who I brought on this show and she and Lanny co-hosted with me when I had Abdul the Butcher on that uh, COVID and Colicon, those two different, during COVID time, they were wrestling podcast marathons, like all day, Friday evening, to Sunday night and the main event one for the last and final one was me with you know Mary and Lanny because uh, her dad worked as did Lanny work with Furpo Pampero Furpo who was one of the earliest hardcore wrestlers with Sheik Abdul the Butcher Tiger Jeet Singh Senior all those insane guys Mark Lewin in the classic Detroit territory so, you know and Abby was a big part of that but um Lanny was on that Dr. Fairman PBS TV diet. He's one of those guys during pledge. He'll have like 90 minute thing. 
and it was a super restrictive, nothing but beans, fruit, nuts, vegetables. And the only stuff you could drink was distilled water. So for a guy only 68, but I have, you know, just only speculation, my own speculation, but Lanny moves to Ecuador, as you knew, mm -hmm. uh, well, like not long after COVID hit. And I asked not him. Not long after goes, his mom passed as well. Yeah. Well, his thing was in moving there, he had gone in like 2015 or 2016 to look at some kind of paradise, like the Atlantis resort thing in the Bahamas. Um, and it was supposed to be that way and super inexpensive to buy these condos and townhouses right on the water, uh, but in a temperate climate. You know, Lanny was on the water in Florida at his dad, Angelo. Angelo had like series of apartments that he'd rent out to many wrestlers stayed there and uh, you know his quote unquote miser gimmick was real he was fiscally smart he taught his kids to be that way um and save the money not throw it away which makes you know sense because yet on the other hand dr jerry graham legit and luthes has told this story on my old tv of him actually seeing Jerry Graham light cigars with $100 bills to show off. It was more showing off thing, but it was stupid. And so Angelo had this. And I think when Lanny's mom was second to the last to pass before Lanny, who got the apartments, he just wanted a, because it was often humid in Florida, he wanted like a temperature like around, 80 81 year round with no like humidity. a san diego type it, weather yeah yeah closer to the equator but without the humidity and for some reason ecuador had that so we went and looked at this advertised prop some goofy name he told me about he told mary catchmanian in, in like 2015-16 and it wasn't done yet and he went back and um saw that it was not what it was as advertised it was, there was like, I don't know, some treatment sewage thing behind it. He just didn't like it. So he bought another one right after COVID was over. And he told me that he, you know, kind of wanted to get away from all that. He didn't want to catch it. And he said, look, my daughter, Megan, two sons, you know, are functioning well. My mom has passed. I want to sort of do this. This was my dream thing to have this piece of property. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So he bought a place on the water there. And also because he had been taking uh, whatever that online Spanish, you know, those classes that are very good. He was doing that and for a number of years and he loved Hispanic women. He uh, found a gal that he liked. He actually called her his wife. But I thought they were married, but they, they weren't. But last year, last like last summer, I don't know if it was August. I think I'm thinking it was August. I'd have to look up the emails. He said he bought another place. He had split with her and he bought a place up country, meaning up a mountainside, you know, higher, much higher elevation where he'd never lived before. And if you've never lived in like Denver or something, you know, where the athletes you hear about it, they sometimes need oxygen. That story, Lanny loved talking about the Johnny Valentine, Alaskan Jay York thing where Jay York needed an oxygen tank because he had asthma and they were working in 
Denver, Colorado, high elevation. Anyway, Lanny said it was taking him some getting used to once he bought that place and moved into it. Up country is the phraseology he used. Um, you know, it, it just sometimes he would lose his breath and he was just getting used to that high elevation. So fast forward to the thing a week ago, we had all of these signings planned. And as you said, some appearances and a fan fest in the Northeast area. And, you know, that can cause a lot of stress because he had been stressed and asking me and others about, you know, how is the airplane situation in the U.S.? Are they still having all these Southwest-like problems and stuff? So I'm just thinking perhaps a guy that young who had been so into health and preaching it and talking about it on that restrictive, but, you know, that diet, but, you know, keeping himself in that kind of shape, those two things, a higher elevation, now he's coming out of it and immediately flying to the U.S., you know, make a little, as he called it, walking around money, some spending money, and then having, you know, a lot of places to be all at once and getting himself there. And, you know, the normal stresses that can come with it, but he's coming from a low stress area to high stress area. So the elevation and that, and plus the extreme temperature change. So he's like at 80 degrees the time he left Ecuador to whatever it was, minus X amount of degrees. Maybe that caused some stuff on his heart because the latest we're still hearing is he uh, just didn't wake up. He had some kind of cardiac infarction that Thursday morning. I'm just going to say it's just really tough. Loss, long time both Bob Mulrennan, who was a Northeast photographer out of the New York, Jersey, Philly area, just lost him a few months ago. Then we lose Jay Briscoe, which was horrific. And then uh, one of the top, top mid-Atlantic photographers passes away about a week ago, or just days before Lanny, from memory. And then Lanny, so it's not been uh, so great a 2023 already. It, but it just it, it just seems so tragic. A guy into his health and so young, never smoked, drank, nothing. He said he never even took a hit off a doobie that any of the guys, you know, even his brother used to smoke uh, to chill out a little, which he needed. Lanny did not. Uh, to be taken from us just is like an unfathomable. It's uh, it's bad and. and I'll just urge people to look at his work pre-WF. Look at the, uh, in particular, obviously, he's a a given. You look at his uh, Jerry Jarrett stuff, the Memphis-Nashville stuff, the Randy and Lanny against the Rock and Roll Express, some outstanding footage stuff. Or look at their family promotion in Kentucky, the ICW, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like a guilty pleasure. It was so fun and so outlaw a promotion late 70s early 80s primarily taken on jared and lawler and then they had to end up joining it when the icw fell apart but you look at the guys that came out of there that randy and lanny and angelo helped train crusher broomfeld who became one man gang and akeem and rip rogers yeah ronnie garvin was in that territory bob orton jr there was some amazing stuff going on uh in there uh pistol pest watley was in there and uh, yeah i mean lanny did some amazing work you know and obviously 
he came into, you know, that was that close bond the brothers had. Obviously, he wouldn't have been there without Randy and WWF in 85, but he took the ball and ran with it when he, he got it. And um, and then I think the guy that Evan and I are doing the book on, the guy I ran the fan club for, John Tolis, the Golden Greek, uh, who was on magazine covers all the time with his feud with Fred Blassie and Ernie Ladd and Billy Graham when he first became the superstar Billy Graham and the Sheik, all of this stuff. It was like on magazine covers, the after Stanley Weston magazine covers. I worked for those mags incessantly in the 70s, particularly, you know, his golden period, 1970 to 75, even having culminating with that Madison Square Garden title match with Bruno that year in 75. But um, so, I, I don't know, it's just... Uh, you would want to look at that stuff. And uh, of course he ran with it. And then also I bring up John Tolis because John was brought in and most historians say that from 70 to 73, 74, John was doing state-of-the-art promos, particularly that long great feud with Freddie Blassie that ended up in August of 1971 with an outdoor Los Angeles Coliseum show that drew over 29,000 people and was an amazing car. They had the, this, they, they were on top. They had worked this angle of Tolis finding Freddie Blassie, who was our top baby, so people can believe it in LA, just beloved. And it went on for like eight months with them week after week. They filmed this stuff with Fred at St. John's Hospital where we were selling the eye injury that Tolis had blinded him, throwing boxers, Monsoles powder in his eye at our KCOP Channel 13 TV studios. Uh, for the angle to set up everything when Fred was accepting an award for wrestler of the year, the Tolis felt should have been his. He goes to Dr. Bernhard Schwartz's ringside bag and Dr. Bernhard Schwartz was the ringside doctor for both the LaBelle Hollywood wrestling and boxing office. He was the guy at ringside all the time. So he gets this stuff to stop cuts, throws it in Blassie's eye. Obviously it was just baby powder. And, but Fred for months and months and months is in, I mean, I've never seen an angle like this. I don't even think Bruno Sabisco tops it. But uh, anyway, I bring up this stuff about Tolis because Tolis comes in, Fred Blassie asks Pat and Vince to bring in, you know, his longtime LA dance partner, John Tolis, to be the manager, the coach. And he's managing initially Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, and the Beverly Brothers. But his forte was unscripted promos and instead he had to memorize and read off teleprompters and stuff he didn't do well he was replaced by L lanny poffo uh when he turned heel to manage kurt and the beverly's so that's that tie in there but before tolis left when he said you know he spent like a whole day just talking to john tolis and just one of his idols from you know as i said the old 1977 newsletter i did on john and his brother chris and all the stuff he'd read, he'd never met John before. And John, of course, was a longtime friend in the 50s of his dad, but Lanny would never met him before. Uh, so uh, you know, lots of ties and stuff there. And uh, you want to get into the Gorgeous George stuff very quickly? Be the Gorgeous George stuff is of When he was going to try to do what a WCW? Yeah, the, the thing was... I'll make it brief, hard for me, but 1952, <laughs> Angelo Papa wanted to quit wrestling and he just wasn't making any money. 
it just wasn't for him. And Gorgeous George talked him into sticking around and, and seeing it through. And so they were lifelong friends. And when Gorgeous George settled in Apple Valley, California, you know, in the Los Angeles Valley. Oh, this Angeles is the Valley. original Gorgeous I'm thinking, uh, I was thinking. Real was Gorgeous do George, the, George Wagner. The yeah, real he was guy. going to do the Gorgeous George gimmick in WCW. So that's, that's why I saying. said that. That's, but go yeah, ahead. That's, that's what I'm getting into. Uh, so he, uh, he was almost penniless. That's why he was constantly from like 62 and 63 doing hair versus hair or hair versus mass matches with Whipper Watson and Toronto where he had like two or three. And then he never went through with it when he lost by pinfall to Watson, who was a former NWA world champion. He had his then wife valet, Cherie Dupree, who I knew very well get her hair shaved. And then in Los Angeles, his final match was hair versus mask against the sensational intelligent destroyer, Dick Byer, who beat him. He had had to beg our booker, Jules Strongbow and Dick Byer for that match because he needed money. He was an alcoholic, sadly, he had his demons and he had blown all of his surviving funds on a uh, turkey ranch. He was making turkey burgers way ahead of his time, but he wanted to buy turkey burgers. So he dies. Angelo Papo pays for his funeral. So fast forward to WCW days, Randy Savage for his own brother, when he got in, hired, first hired, like whatever the year that was, 94, 95. He purchased the rights to all of Gorgeous George's name and trademark and likeness. He was going to have any you always threw him the bone. You know, WWF 85, and now 10 years later, say, in WCW, have Lanny portray the Gorgeous George character. For whatever reason, I need to call up Bischoff and find out why that was never, never happened, never executed. Lanny just got paid to sit at home. You know, he had rebuilt his body. He dyed his hair blonde. And for five years, he got paid and never did once work on TV as Gorgeous George. But you know, Randy had sort of carried that even another full circle after his dad pays for Gorgeous George's full funeral, all the expenses, everything in 1964. Now, Randy, decades later, is trying to bring that back. And um, it ended up weirdly, they brought in Gorgeous George IV, but he was called the Maestro. And this is a guy I see every year, Cauliflower Alley. I think he lives in Vegas. So he did the maestro gimmick that was basically a gorgeous George, but a musician, a classic musician thing. And then Randy Savage's girlfriend gets the gorgeous George nickname. That's how it ended up with her uh, and, and that whole gorgeous George thing. But that's kind of a, a neat facet to that family. And Lanny was set to be, he could have been nationalist, the new age gorgeous George. I don't know how that would have looked. I never really talked to him about that, but um, he said it was a sweet deal, five years of staying at home, but he would have preferred to work, which he loved more than anything. He loved entertaining. Yeah. So I guess my last question for you, and obviously I knew him from the genius days, you know, as a little kid and stuff, and then when I met him later on and obviously know the history and everything else like that, but I'll let you answer this. And one would be a business related question. And I know this will sound negative asking, but after Randy died with his heart issue and the car accident and all that stuff, which people know, 
Lanny was the champion for the Poffo family. Obviously, he was the one who allowed said okay for Randy to, for the Hall of Fame, and you know he was the one champion. Not he only fought his legacy. mother over that. Yeah, he, he fought did. his mother. But obviously, it was he championed the family name and Randy's legacy and such. So you don't hear too much about the wife that at least publicly that Randy had married before his death. And obviously Lanny's daughter, Megan was not one for the public guy. So who might be from a business standpoint and whatnot, do you think champion the legacy besides folks like us who enjoy the history of the business? Well, now that that does fall, Megan is having to make all the decisions. Uh, I don't know if a date has been set for just a private family memorial. You know, there's not really anybody left other than distant relatives. And of course, her two sons who were, according to Mary, they one is like five, a little older than five, the other is seven. So they're still kids. But so Megan, Lanny's daughter, is having to carry on the legacy and plan all this stuff for her father, you know, and she's, you know, not that old of a person to have to have all this stress and pressure put on her. I think she's my age from what I understand in my, in the later thirties. Yeah. That's still young. Just think if you had, you know, the weight of the world and somebody that famous that was your, your dad, you know, globally known name and stuff. Cause Lanny did have some Japan tours or I uh, uh, forget which group. This was back in the 70s. But uh, so he was known globally. He'd worked in Europe and, and stuff. But um, the just quickly, though, carrying the family name, uh, Randy had lobbied quite often, both for his dad to be in that Legends Battle Royal in 87 in the Meadowlands. He lobbied to Vincent Pat, who... For whatever reason, Vince just didn't want to have Angelo Poffo in that battle royal, which killed Randy, you know, from an emotional standpoint. And then Randy, when whatever the heat was, whether it was, you know, I don't want to get into the speculation stuff uh, as to why, it, you know, he wasn't put in the Hall of Fame a lot earlier. But when he started to be asked, he said, I want my whole hall, my family, my dad and my brother, kid brother go in. And they just said, no, just you, you know, uh, our audience doesn't know Angelo. And I don't know why they would say no to Lanny, you know, because I mean, look at last Friday, they didn't do anything but a verbal, like two, three sentences on Lanny, not a vignette, not showing his old footage. They didn't do that, even any of that on Monday Night Raw. So that was kind of just tough for me and others. But uh, Lanny had uh, told his mom, I'm going to agree to just have, you know, Randy go in and I'll accept. And she goes, well, why? Randy didn't want that. He wanted Angelo and and you, the three of you, to go in together, you know, the way they did with, I guess, the Von Erichs, the Atkinson family, and I think the Armstrongs. But they've had other families where they just didn't focus on one person. And so he said, no, you know, I know Randy would, want, but his words to her, exact words were, but he's not here now. So he wanted 
Randy to be honored. It had been way too long. And so at that 2015 WrestleMania Hall of Fame weekend in San Jose, Santa Clara, uh, Lanny had and put on the list myself and Mary Furpo's daughter, Pimpero Furpo's daughter, as his friends and family. So he had us in on all these things. He wanted good shots, of course, from me. And I was sitting third row. We, Mary and I sat together right behind Trish and Lita and Autumn IV and some other ones. Um, so he wanted good shots of that. And then he wanted the shots at the stadium on Sunday at WrestleMania where they brought out Medusa and the Bushwhackers and Rikishi and whoever the celebrity was. I think it was Schwarzenegger that year uh, out there. So, But Lanny was the one who said, Randy's got to go in. He's the most definitely the most deserving i mean you know i mean how many things was he on top of how much money did he draw for wwf so he made the right call there and you know he in a way got all that attention on him too because he was the guy accepting the award and and most of the wwf audience you know maybe the casuals had no idea he and randy were brothers which was kind of crazy but you remember lanny officiated the crowning of the macho king I don't, I don't remember all of that. I don't think they said that he was his brother, but I think it was maybe perhaps inferred. I think most people by that point knew they were brothers, but today's or 2015's fans that that whole WrestleMania week uh, maybe had forgotten who Lanny was. So this was a good way to remind people. And he was really happy. He was up beat afterwards at the after party, both Saturday and Sunday night of that wrestlemania you know the hall of fame saturday the mania sunday night so uh i don't know if i've answered your question but it's like poor megan you know i, I just don't know like what have you heard what's the latest um, i haven't heard anything no service dates i haven't heard of anything yeah. but my final question for you and because we're going to keep this contrite because everybody is and rightfully so, doing their respects busted open. You said did it. You guys did it on the Sunday show with Evan and all. And people have been writing stuff on pro wrestling stories and everything. But my final question for you is, obviously we know what Randy's legacy and everything was to the business. And still is. But what do you think... Lanny's legacy is when we look at his body of work, both professionally and personally. Professionally, they they keep calling him one of WWF WWE's first high flyers. No, there was Moscarus starting in '72. There was uh, the Flying Greek, Mike Pappas. There were some high flyers. Jose Jet Estrada. You can't forget the. Uh, classic Madison Square Garden on a WWF uh, house show, Dynamite Kid, Tiger Mask. But they were calling him that. And then he made that transition from this guy through the Frisbees, just reciting innocuous poems that were very well written, to full-out heel. He has the Saturday Night Live's main event, counting out victory over Hulk Hogan with millions watching. So that was a big high point. So I guess we're looking at... but really body of work is the memphis stuff and the icw stuff where he actually had a feud and they acknowledged that randy and lanny were brothers and they had this big blood feud 
And then afterwards, when ICW fell, they go in as a team in singles and doing outstanding stuff in Memphis that people really should go YouTube and look at. And personally, Lanny was just uh, honest and he was always upbeat and positive. He was a motivational speaker. So a little bit like Diamond Dallas Page there, you know, always positive, always making people feel good, trying to be straight, open and cool with folks and, and making them feel better in his presence. And, and you always like you probably experienced when you were in his presence or talking with him, et cetera, you know, made you feel good, never trashed anybody. He was all about uh, just being a people, good person sending. I mean, I've got all my Christmas cards from him that he used to mail wherever he happened to be living, whether it was Kentucky or, you know, Florida with the family's compound. And uh, that's how those of us who knew him and hopefully uh, everybody else just remembers Lanny as uh, just a good human being, but taken way too young from us at age 68. It's just as awful. Somebody who cared about his health that much. He often said, I'm around all of these boys who are smoking, doing drugs, drinking, and uh and I don't know how they're still alive. And I want to live to be over 100. That was his point in, in starting that Furman, very restrictive food diet, no meat, not even fish, uh, was he wanted to live to be 100 or over 100. And so it, it sucks that he didn't get to achieve that. But he did so many other things. He was such a positive person. That's Sir Lanny Poffo, I remember. If there's anything ironic, I would say, with his death, and you would notice as much as I do with his personality. I find it ironic that he passed in the Northeast and re New York specifically. And the reason I'm saying that, and I'm not some heartless bastard here, like I am most of the time, but the night before, on I guess it was either Tuesday or Wednesday there, I remember seeing pictures. He was attending a show on Broadway called Wicket, which has been around for right. a long time. And yeah. for any of us that knew Lanny or people who followed him as fans and whatever the case is, he was a very versatile person as far as he always enjoyed the arts and yep. so he, I think it's kind of cool in a way that he was able to take in that the arts still right before that he was able to. He'd done that. He'd gone to Lion King. Yeah, he'd gone to plays whenever he was there. So he really didn't have the time for it when he was in WWF. So he loved the theater, he loved colorful stuff. And one thing I forgot to add, when I threw this Sam Munchnik weekend convention, the only convention I ever threw, he came in a week early to help me out with it. And he brought out a girlfriend he was seeing who was a chiropractor, physical therapist, who he knew I was stressed out. You know, I'd been planning this thing for 14 months. I didn't live in St. Louis, but it was one of my favorite territories to shoot in the 70s. So he brought out this beautiful girl. <laughs> And she was giving me neck massages, trying to calm me down. But she also helped some of the older people I had. They're like Killer Kowalski and Ox Baker and Pepper Gomez and Pepper Martin and other uh, wrestling people. 
you know, giving them free neck and back massages, whatever they need so they could stand all day. But Lanny, back to the plays, yeah, he saw and wanted to go to a lot of them. So anytime he was up there, if he could arrange to go see something and have somebody get him some tickets, he'd just go by himself. He loved uh, uh, the theater and he loved colorful stuff. He loved TV. He was having a hard time getting all his streaming networks down there. This was a guy who really loved, as you said, the arts, loved music, loved classical music, loved jazz. He loved his dad's big band stuff. He had a number of LPs, tons of LPs. So I just find it, if there's any solace in this, that he was able to take in some arts right before he passed. So, Oh, no, I did nothing. It just, you know, when you're talking memories, it just... You don't want to talk about yourself, but the experiences I had, you know, you have to sort of mention those. That's those are my memories of him. But just a very kind person. You don't often find those in uh, wrestling. Your Mick Foley's, your Bruno Sammartino's, your uh, Owens. Jeff. Yeah, a lot of more nice people. Sometimes you just think of the shitheads, but I just think the fact that so many guys who've abused their body, like Lanny had thought, how are these guys surviving? How are these guys, you know, why are they not thinking of wanting to live the 100 and more to do these things, particularly stuff that he loved? And yet he was taken from us cruelly only at age friggin' 68. That's that just, I, I think about that daily. How could this? guy be taken from us at only 68 it just doesn't make any sense but you know maybe there's some higher purpose calling for him i don't know god Every bless time. lanny papa what a yes. nice godspeed what a nice guy great guy contributed so he left a, a very positive mark on on the world exactly hence why we're sitting here talking to him thank you sir i don't know thank you for doing this Thanks uh, to Crazy Train here. Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies enjoy grabbing your friday merchandise and interacting with the friday family whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs well when you're looking to get yourself masks why not check out our friends over at camp blood customs out of new york state and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hi, this is J.P. Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. Crazy Train Radio. 